WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 133, all about the Soviet Union adaptation of The Lord of the Rings, being the 133rd part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by YouTuber Daniel Green. Welcome. Hello. It's very nice to be here. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming on. Um, a lot of people actually recommended for me to reach out to you. I think mostly because they know that we are both in Richmond, Virginia. So <laughs> that was a fun connection to make. And thank you, listeners and people who suggested that. I didn't. I wasn't aware that of like your YouTube channel and all of the cool. Um, um, fantasy content and stuff that you do. So why don't you um, tell the listeners a little bit about what you do as a content creator and how you, if you were introduced at all to Lord of the Rings, what's your Lord of the Rings experience like? Uh, mostly I just make whatever fantasy related content strikes me on a given day for YouTube, whether it's a skit, a deep dive discussion or a book review. I think tomorrow I'm releasing my review of Dune Messiah. Um, and then, you know, it might be followed up by a fart joke. Like it's, it's a wide variety of stuff. <laughs> um, so that's if you just put in Daniel Green, I'm usually the guy who comes up. And my introduction to Lord of the Rings, like most people my age, I was born in 94, uh, was the movies, and that was right around the time my dad was like, hey, uh, I should get you into these. And so It's I, always the dads. Yeah. It's always the dads, I've learned. Yeah. My mom got me into his dark materials, but my father was Lord of the Rings, and we uh, he read me The Hobbit, I think, and then I read the other books on my own. Probably didn't understand a whole lot of them at that age, mm-hmm. but it, you know, you, there's enough of it you get that you kind of fall in love, and then there's been a couple rereads since then. Um, but yeah, I would say, in, especially in terms of cinema, probably set the bar for me for a long time (laughs) is there are there any other movies since lord of the rings that have come close to that that bar for you personally at least i maintain that there's something so special about those adaptations that feels so next level in a way that has just not been touched you're seeing denis villeneuve hit a similar level of scope with his like blade runner 2049 and obviously dune but i don't know there's just something so perfect that i i mean if you look at my letterbox account i still have fellowship of the ring in my top four films like it's it's going to be there till the day i die probably <laughs> <laughs> that's great well and and you know speaking of of next level adaptations uh we are discussing today the <laughs> soviet union era uh made for tv adaptation of the lord of the rings um it's actually called it translates to the keepers or the the keepers of Hmm. the ring and it's not a full lord of the rings adaptation it is just an adaptation really of fellowship of the ring it's about two hours long it's in two parts on youtube there are cap there are um translated english captions if you're interested in watching it, there will be links in the in the episode description. My girlfriend, who, if the world was just, actually should be on this podcast. She re- she knows Lord of the Rings way better than myself. She speaks Russian as well. And I had her watch no it way! and tell me, like, hey, oh are the captions gosh. pretty accurate? And she was like, the captions are fine. So you at least are getting, like, a somewhat realistic somewhat translation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I heard about um, similarly with The Hobbit 
Soviet Union adaptation where like there are all these discrepancies between like what the Russian actors are actually saying versus like what it translates to in English and then like there are some versions of the translations where it's like this isn't the Hobbit at all this is yeah. like a totally other bonkers story well with these she said you got the gist <laughs> yeah oh exactly yeah. I wish I'd known that she was super into Lord of the Rings and Russian because I totally would have told you to like have her on as well um, I did that before with uh, Mike Schubert he was like well my girlfriend loves Lord of the Rings way more than I do and I was like bring her on and it was a great time so Next time I'll get her I'll get her in the future baby for the please, please do cuz she she's like she's a Silmarillion repeatedly level person and I read oh, that once and okay. I'll never pick it up again. <laughs> oh my gosh, I am I will be diving into the Silmarillion next. So that's definitely it's happening. I have mixed feelings about it. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we jump into the the actual discussion I want to give a little background about this. This adaptation, The Keepers, was broadcast once in 1991 during the last days of the Soviet Union, according was, to Wikipedia, I should say. This was 91? <laughs> mm-hmm. I assumed watching it, it was like 80. Like- <laughs> I know, I know, right? Right. And it was thought to just be like lost to time until someone who works at so it was Leningrad television there. They originally aired it and their successor channel five last year somewhere at this television station, I guess, found it in the archives and just put it on YouTube. Um, and it was immediately a hit. It had like hundreds of thousands of views within a day. And it seems like everyone has positive reception of this just because of like, it's such like a, a time capsule, like a moment in time. It's a buck wild version of this story. It is very much like a cultural relic uh, of the Soviet Union, really. <laughs> And I, I think it also is just immensely charming. Like, it is just so clearly diehard fans who really are getting into... It feels like you're watching people put on a stage play, uh, and it's shot like that, um, mm-hmm. of Lord of the Rings. And it, it I, I don't know if this is the story, but it just looks like it's a bunch of dudes in the garage who happen to all be big Tolkien fans. Yes. Um, as I was watching it, I was like, this feels like in high school when you read Lord of the Rings and then you have to do like a video group project. <laughs> and <laughs> With a little bit of a budget. Felt like. <laughs> a little bit more of a budget. So yes, it's a very low budget. It was shot on videotape, I believe. And the actor who played Mary actually came out and said um, he was talking a little bit about this and recalled that the entire shoot spanned some nine hours <laughs> and took place in under a week. How? That's amazing. The set work alone, like that's really impressive to get that all done that fast. Man, there had been a previous uh, adaptation. Like I mentioned, there was The Hobbit in 19, I think it was 1985. Um, So they, I don't know if it was like the same quote unquote production company, (laughs) Um, but maybe they still had some like leftover sets from that. I'm I'm not sure. But yeah, nine hours and took place in under a week. 
It's really important to note that the, I'll, I'll leave a link in the episode description to this really fascinating article I was reading about the efforts it took to even get some version of Lord of the Rings translated into Russian so that just, you know, the everyday person could read it. As we as we were talking before we, we started recording, the Soviet Union was really known for their love of literature and freedom of speech. Um, so it was really easy to get this translated. No, it actually took several attempts. The first attempt, some dude tried to disguise it as a science fiction novel and hid the magic themes behind the facade of rational scientific discoveries. Um, and that did not get published. And then there was another, uh, I believe it was in... 1982 that Fellowship of the Ring or at least some version of it was successfully translated and published and then the Cold War happened and Reagan said some things about the Soviet Union and then they started comparing like the United States to Mordor and uh, it kind of fell two towers and Return of the King were really delayed in being published because of censorship so this is yeah the efforts of bringing to life the only translated text i think at that time really um yeah it's definitely you can tell they're excited this was a labor of love and i'm glad that they had fun you know at the end of the day it's not pretty but i'm glad that they had fun yeah I can I can completely agree with that. And it very much so in my head falls into a similar category of like uh, David Lynch's Dune in a way where there's a level of just weirdness to it that makes it enjoyable. Like in, in David Lynch's Dune, you'll have like Sting walk out in a Speedo and you're like, what? And there's like a cat duct taped to a rat. Like those are real things. And this, if you're paying attention to the background, it's like Gandalf is just waving at the screen for like 15 straight seconds at one point, And he has a laugh that's like, ha, 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 ha. It's, you just gotta like that weird stuff. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a weird one for sure. Every character, and I don't think it was intent, like the hobbits all kind of look similar, but like yeah. they look so different from Gandalf who looks very different from Aragorn, who looks very different from Boromir. Although the height inconsistency, I couldn't help but notice. Oh my gosh. It's in, yeah, in some scenes, they've shrunk the hobbits down, like digitally, and in other scenes, they just didn't care. <laughs> and sometimes the actors are just on their knees, like very clearly they're just oh on their gosh. knees. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's so great. So, so yeah, we'll we'll jump into it now. Um, it opens with a music video sort of version of the like one like how does how does the Galadriel narration open in, in Fellowship? Basically, that you know. But I say it's like a music video, and this is where I really got that like high school English project vibes because it's. Someone with a videotape and uh, a video camera, and then people are just like walking around outside. They got some horses. It was like the dead of winter, so they adapted the script to have the hobbits complaining about how cold and dead it is in the winter. Just really great stuff. And the music is uh, interesting as well. <laughs> Uh, the also, I think it was kind of funny. The Hobbit 
uh, one as well. It has, it opens with instead the most dramatic of narration. Uh, I don't know if you watched that one as well, mm-hmm. with a Vladimir Lenin looking guy just sitting yeah. in a chair reading like every time they like couldn't film something he just comes back in and just narrates it in this super dramatic way i actually kind of preferred that i'm gonna say yeah yeah which is totally fine and it's funny because they this version also does have a narrator he is like costumed and the set that he's on is more fitting for like lord of the rings right um rather than that other narrator who's just who, in a chair <laughs> I I said he it looked like he was introducing um like a murder mystery yeah. movie or something you know <laughs> very like, much so yeah and he has like a bowler hat and a and an umbrella as a cane like oh my gosh but there are some instances where it'll cut to this narrator and he doesn't like say or do anything he just like looks at the camera and like raises his eyebrows or something or like smokes his pipe. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very much so like attempted comedy from that era that just never aged well. Like they very much so thought like the the literal camera wink was really funny and now it's just like we we get it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um so we open with the party of Bilbo Baggins on his 111st birthday. Great party. It looks like they're having fun all around. There's dancing, there's lots of eating, and Bilbo gets up and says his speech and he's like, "Oh, my dear friends, Merry and Pippin," and like gives them a hug. And then he's like, "Oh, and my dear cousin Lobelia," and invites her up and there's this all this back and forth about Lobelia being like, what have you left us in your will for when you die? I mean, after the party is over. And it was just, they spent, they gave Lobelia way more time than she got in well, either it, of the it's trilogies. fan favorite Lobelia, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Sadly, I don't think, though, there was any mention of her, of the spoons. Oh, well, what a shame. No spoons here. Um, but yeah, she's there just to, I guess, be like curmudgeon And then Bilbo invites up Gandalf, who I said kind of, he kind of looks like he's in like a Shakespeare play or something. Like, yeah. like, or he just looks like Shakespeare. To me, he kind of looked more like an extra from an 80s metal like music video. That's kind of mm. the costuming I was getting there, but maybe I'm completely off base. Yeah, no, that's not off base <laughs> at all. And then, yeah, Gandalf is like, woo, yay, happy birthday. Okay, and now you're present, and the fireworks happen. And he, like, holds up a red sheet to the camera, and then there's, like, this, it's not even an animation. It's just a still image of, like, these white lines that look like fireworks. (laughs) And then, like, I think they even have people doing, like, firework noises that are, like, I I couldn't tell what the hell those noises were. I'm gonna be honest. I I kind of was like, I'm I'm not gonna accuse it of just being a guy with a mic going, <laughs> but it sounded like that. That's exactly what it was. Okay. I have no doubt that's what it was. <laughs> well, I I do want to say they they did have some kind of impressive music at times i was a little bit like okay there's actual scoring here or if it's the like i don't know if it's the version of my like generic music i'm able to get online now for like the soviet union at the time uh but it was i don't know i thought at the time there was enough musicality where i was like i am having fun 
Then Bilbo disappears with his ring, and he and Gandalf have a chat. Oh, I was thinking of Gandalf from the Hobbit one. Yeah, Gandalf looks completely different in the Fellowship one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gandalf in the Hobbit at least has like... Like a wizard beard, you yeah. know? Yeah, this Gandalf like doesn't really look like Gandalf. <laughs> they couldn't even <laughs> I don't keep think the continuity. He no, he looks more yeah, Victorian here. Yeah, no continuity. <laughs> Again, which is why I don't think it, I can't tell if they if like this production was at all in relation to the the Hobbit production. No. Um, but I do genuinely think it was just like a bunch of guys who were like. Hey, let's do this. <laughs> Anyone have a few days to kill? I just got this new camcorder. Let's film it in my backyard, you know? And I'm going to put branches <laughs> right next to your face a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're going to use this one tree over and over. I was about to say, like, maybe I thought I saw some of the actors were the same, but I genuinely don't know for sure because they're just kind of like bloated looking Russian dudes. <laughs> I don't mean I, to be mean. Oh my mean. gosh, right? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a bunch of the same actors um because during a lot of the fight sequences it's just like okay the fellowship they'll just be like waving their swords around and then it'll cut to like the monsters or whoever or the writers or whoever they're fighting and i'm like that's a hundred percent like those orcs or those writers are just like the hobbits in different costumes like the hobbit actors i'm like i don't think they had much of a cast here going on that's one of the things that screams fan project to me though because their issue wasn't making props or anything it was getting people outside their friend group involved like that's what it felt yes. like <laughs> <laughs> yeah Gandalf and Bilbo talk about the ring just noting that so Bilbo does say the I feel like butter scraped over too much bread line but at the end or at least the translation the translated English captions say I feel like butter scraped over too much bread by a miser which I just thought was a really funny like Soviet Union addition to that line by a miser. <laughs> Just that subtle, you know, a little subtle thing there. <laughs> yeah. So Bilbo eventually agrees to leave the ring behind and leave everything to Frodo. He disappears. Everyone's kind of gossiping about Bilbo and they say they say like, "Oh, well that queer Bilbo is gone." Again, that's what at least the English captions are translated to and i know that like they don't mean queer the way that we understand it but it was just really shocking (laughs) (laughs) they mean it as an oddity but obviously in 2022 Mm -hmm. it reads as like (laughs) it reads it reads so it's really funny how it reads so differently from like how tolkien wrote it which was genuinely like oh what a weirdo and then using it as a slur in probably 90s and early 2000s and then now it's like an identity for for someone a valid identity so it really that word really has like run the gambit in terms of like what we interpret from that but it's always shocking for me um whenever i read it or see it in this context and then frodo when he gets back to his house and learns that bilbo has left he like breaks down into tears and i'm like wow he's showing so much more emotion than frodo does in the in the book or the movie where he's just like, yeah, Bilbo did say he might leave. And this Frodo's very sad about it. <laughs> but I, I've also like, I've been on the record saying like, I don't love Elijah Wood's Frodo. I do like Elijah Same. Wood and I think it's a decent interpretation. And I was watching this one and I was like, maybe I like him more. <laughs> 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 this guy's giving it his all. 
<laughs> yeah, he really is. And we don't get that classic, uh, as I called it many times, Elijah would derp face when he is like being tempted by the ring. You know the face. Yes. <laughs> the one that's in a lot of the memes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gandalf basically immediately starts telling Bilbo, I mean Frodo, about how evil this ring is and Frodo's like how did you how did Bilbo come to find it and Gandalf like is telling the story of Gollum in a flashback and we see Smeagol and Deagle fishing by a river and then like Deagle goes diving into the river and then it's a green screen of like underwater and then the actor is literally like if if you were doing charades and your word was like swimming exactly what you would do but is he's what giving the it is all he's given it everything he's got and i just appreciate this man because he's a grown man like he's just a man in his 30s oh or 40s gosh. or maybe 20s it's russia and <laughs> he's just going ham oh my gosh yes things go like we know them to go smeagol kills deagle the ring corrupts him and then Of course, Bilbo finds Gollum in the cave and they have a riddle game and he gets that. Wait, that's not what what we see. All of a sudden, Gandalf shows up and just like starts strangling Gollum (laughs) and like torturing him for information about how he got the ring. Which, you know, if you need to abbreviate, that's a that's a way to do it. (laughs) I guess. And so it's kind of implied, I think, that like Gandalf tracked down Gollum and stole the ring from him. It's hard to tell in this version. I I Um, took this as a much more violent, willing to backhand someone, uh, Gandalf. Yes, yes, 100%. (laughs) This Um, this isn't fool of a took. This is I'm going to beat a took. Yeah, oh my gosh, yes, 100%. (laughs) Also worth noting that Gollum here, just like in the Hobbit Soviet, just like in the, the version we covered last week, looks like old Greg. Have you seen that that video? I Do you know what I'm referring? <laughs> okay, don't you worry. Um, if I if I were to send you a link now, you would be like, "Yep, that's it." Well, what I loved is it does buy into the theory that these two productions are completely unrelated because they could have just done a cutback to the Bilbo scene with Gollum that they filmed for The Hobbit. Right? But they yeah, just don't. no, that's that's too much work. Um, to go back into those archives and find those people. And besides, they only had, you know, they had a week. We don't have time to to edit in more footage. We got to, th- maybe also they wanted to do their own version, you know? Yeah, and in their version, you have Gandalf beating the shit <laughs> out of somebody. Like, terrifyingly, honestly. Um, where's the chat? Let me Gandalf see. Gandalf looks like the villain picture. from The Princess Bride. You know what I mean? He looks like the man with six fingers from The Princess Bride yes. to me. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what Gollum looks like. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. He tells Frodo that the ring needs to be destroyed. um, And Frodo's like, okay, I guess. And then he says, don't worry. You won't do it alone. You'll be joined by your friends. Cheerful Mary Brandybuck, the compassionate Samwise Gamgee, and Pippin took strong as an ox. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's which I don't think ever like comes into play in this plot. I was like, oh, there's going to be moments where like Pippin has to like lift a boulder or something, and then I don't think that ever happens. <laughs> uh, we all know that Pippin is known for his CrossFit routine. Yes, <laughs> and it's just even funnier when you just picture um shoot what's it uh, when you just picture Billy Boyd's <laughs> Pippin. You know, yeah. like especially like picturing in your head like 
oh, they're sized down in that movie. They're so much littler. And then strong as an ox <laughs> that Pippin took. Hey, you never see him shirtless. You don't know he doesn't have six pack abs. That is true. He might. He very well could. Actually, I don't know. I doubt that. Pippin eats a lot, smokes a lot, drinks a lot. Hey, if you work out hard, you eat a lot of protein. <laughs> I guess. I guess maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, they're very upset. Like I mentioned, they like make sure to write it into the script that it's winter to explain like all the snow because I'm assuming that's when they filmed it is when it was like the dead of winter and there's all this snow everywhere. Yeah. The four hobbits set out on a journey and again just get so it transitions between like there are these scenes outside filmed on someone's camcorder uh, like in the woods behind someone's house or like in the field or the farm like I was constantly down the looking for like something. A, a wire in the background I was constantly looking for yes. mistakes and to their credit I did not find one I, not I know, a plane yeah. not a power line nothing well this was uh, still the Soviet Union okay, so yeah. notoriously <laughs> they did not have electricity until uh, the Soviet Union was dissolved um, man I'm doing like a lot of trash talking of the USSR <laughs> on, on the internet <laughs> Russia please don't come for me um we just, just think the you're entire sad. country <laughs> anyway yeah so it transitions between these scenes where they're outside filming it on a video camera like a handheld video camera and then scenes that are like inside on some kind of a stage mm-hmm. and so there's like a traveling montage um and then oh no, the writers are coming. And it's like just dudes like in cloaks on horses. I think most of the budget would have gone to the horses, honestly. I, I Maybe I missed something. Were they ever brought up before this point? The writers? Yeah, I don't think like the ringwraiths are a big deal. I don't and here know. They're just um, like, we may have just seen them like in the in the prologue, but that's really I it. don't. Yeah, I don't know. What's funny though is that like these shots of these cloaked figures on the horses, it's they reuse like the same three shots of them riding the horses through the snow in like different locations. They reuse those same four clips. The whole movie. <laughs> I imagine this is my total theory, and this is a story I made up in my head. They filmed that last, and they literally ran out of like space. Like it's just that like, they got those three because sh- I cannot think of why you couldn't get a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh shot on that horse. Just have it go by again. So I imagine it's the last thing they shot, and they just ran out. And everything after that, they were planning a shooting. That's the narration dude who just sits down with his beard and glasses. And fills you in. (laughs) Or we just straight up just cut it out and it's just gone and there's no big battle sequence at all. You know, (laughs) like it just doesn't happen and there's just no question about it. (laughs) There's plenty of that as well. (laughs) So they go and hide behind a pile of snow and what's just like, (laughs) it's just so great because it's like, it's just the stationary shot of them, of the four hobbits trying to hide behind this pile of snow. One of the hobbits is like really struggling. It's not like an in-character moment. It's like the actor like could not stand up and is trying to get over the snow. And the other hobbits are like, come on, hurry, come on, come on. And it goes on forever. And then it goes on so long that the cameraman like zooms in on the other hobbits and you can like hear the camera making noise as he's like pressing the zoom button <laughs> it's just great it's great what makes it all the better is knowing this was aired 
Like this was put yes. out, and that means everyone in their little home on their little TV heard that camera zoom in. <laughs> it's excellent. So the writers pass, um, and they decide the hobbits decide that they are going to stop at Farmer Maggot's Inn, which I don't think is a thing in the book. It's been a while since I've read Fellowship. They may stop. And talk to Farmer Maggot for a bit, but there's definitely not a, there's like a whole scene where like they sit down and they talk to Farmer Maggot and they're, and he's like, what's your name? And he's like, Frodo Underhill. And he's like, Underhill? Uh, I don't know any Underhills. You're definitely Frodo Baggins. And then they're like, shh, we're traveling in secret, (laughs) which at least is very true to the book, Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. And then in one clear advantage, we also get Tom Bombadil. Yes. So they go back into the forest after stopping with Farmer Maggot and get to the old forest. And this is when I was like, oh, my God, are we about to see the man, the myth, the legend? And so they they stop by this tree and they're getting like taken over by a spell and they all fall asleep and then Mary gets eaten by the tree. And the, the, the what it's like being they're being told like relax, leave your problems, but it's a very weird series of dialogue, right? Like I can't remember exactly. And there's wording. also like someone they've made like tree like branch puppet hands and so there's someone like behind the tree with these like puppet hands on who's like grabbing at them through the tree (laughs) i'm reminded of like the gremlins when they needed the gremlins to grab something you see this clearly prop arm come in it's like exactly that like it's just a prop arm you see like that some guy's just holding uh, just off camera (laughs) oh my gosh and so then i think frodo's like "What? what who do i hear is that singing who's singing here he is, our homeboy, Tommy B. Tom Bombadil is in the house. And the the, the digital effect here probably looks the weakest, which is saying a lot with them in the Tom Bombadil scene, at least for me. What do you, I thought it was excellent. What do you mean? <laughs> well, like if you look he at He just kind of like phases like in and out of existence. <laughs> which, hey, he's a god, basically. He, he can, can do, do that, that right? Yeah. <laughs> but just- just I was just like, you know what? It makes a lot of sense that Tom Bombadil, he didn't show up in the 1978 Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings. He doesn't show up in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, not even the extended edition. But here he is in the 1991 Soviet Union adaptation. The fact that this is just eight years before Peter Jackson and less so for him filming is just amazing and adorable. Right. Um, Oh my god. And I I couldn't help but like so their sight lines are constantly struggling like because they're trying to do these digital effects. People are just looking in the wrong direction. And what's so great is if you compare that to the brilliant usage of camera angles and stuff to make you know Frodo look like he's looking at Gandalf and all that when they're like you're being forced perspective. It's just there's something beautiful in the comparison. <laughs> and yeah, you're I'm so glad that you brought up that like this is very close in time to when Peter Jackson would have been like preparing for Lord of the Rings. I think he was even maybe campaigning by this point. Like he's he yeah. worked on that for a long time. Or at least definitely at the time that this aired. I don't know how oh, yeah. far in advance they 
I don't know what the what the editing process was like if that took significantly longer than the filming. But there's like no, you know, clever tricks with forced perspective or anything. They literally just like shrink the hobbits down and then like put them like superimpose them in front of Tom Bombadil, who's like normal sized. It looks ridiculous, but it's excellent at I, the same time. I will say it's a creative usage of green screens. They they got yes. their work out of green oh, yeah. screens. Oh yeah. If that was the budget, it was well spent. So Tom Bombadil invites them back to his house. And we see Goldberry, y'all. It's Goldberry. I'm so hype about these two. And she looks almost exactly like how I would expect Goldberry to look. And she's acting exactly how I would expect her to act. It's great. There's like one point where they're sitting down to eat and the hobbits are like, okay, we're ready for dinner. And she's like, have you washed your hands yet? And they're like, (laughs) no. So they have to go and wash their hands and then they come back and then they like hold up their hands to show that they're clean like children. (laughs) Never mind that Frodo is, you know, decades and decades old. It's just, it's adorable. Yeah, that like they're adults, but whatever. And remember, they've been shrunk down to the size of like Oompa Loompas, you know? I just love that the Soviet adaptation had the guts to go where Peter Jackson didn't. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, Peter. There are all these comments in the uh, in the YouTube video that's like Peter Jackson's been real quiet since this came out. <laughs> the three hobbits go to bed, and like Galadriel, I mean Galadriel, um, Goldberry like tucks them in, and they're all like cuddled together in the same bed. I really want to know how they did that prop because it did look like a massive prop. I was like, how did they set that up? What is this? I'm sure it was just. I don't know. I don't think it was a bed. It definitely wasn't a bed. It honestly just maybe could have been like three benches next to each other. Then they threw a blanket on them. That you must know? have been it. Because th- this thing is shot so weird. You're constantly wondering like, what am I looking at? I-, I was thinking that a lot throughout this. Yes. Yeah. So Frodo and Tom Bombadil talk a bit about the ring. And Frodo's like, well... You're clearly better than me at possibly taking this. Like, you take it. And Tom Bombadil picks it up. And I was I was hoping, because there's a moment in the book where he does, like, sleight of hand magic tricks with it. And it's just, like, tossing it around and, like, having fun with it. Like, it isn't the one ring. Very book accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, like, yeah. So he does pick it up and, like, look at it. And it's like, hmm, sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> You have to do it, Frodo. And he's like, aw, okay, well, I'm going to bed. Good night. Goldberry wakes them up and is like, hello, good morning. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey. They're like sent off to the Barrow Downs where Tom Bombadil, I think, did warn them that like, you need to be careful um, and just keep walking. This is really the only place in this movie where it gets kind of like nightmare fuel area is when the Barrow Whites come in. And at first it's a shot of like a a fake, like a Halloween skeleton, like covered in blood. And then it like fades into a clown. (laughs) I don't know. It is like, there's no way friends are, and it's not like a friendly, yeah, it's not like a friendly clown. This is like a John Wayne, John, John, you know what I mean? Gacy clown. It looks terrifying. Yes. John Wayne Gacy. That's it. Yeah. I want to call him John Glenn Gacy. I don't know what was happening (laughs) in my mouth there. (laughs) It's awful. 
and it's ter- and there's also this like horrifying laughter in the background too and like there's this music in the back hate it hate it just no all all around no and then like all of a sudden mary pippin and sam disappear and frodo's looking around and he's almost lost to the darkness and he realizes he's alone and that's where part one of the keepers ends it ends us on this epic cliffhanger And I was like, okay, interesting. I imagine this wasn't aired back to back. This had to be something where they aired it once one week and then the next the next week, right? There's no reason they would have had these I was wondering that too, but I couldn't find anything about that. Mm. It just says it was aired once in 1991. But I imagine it had to have been maybe even like just two nights in a row. Maybe they did it. Maybe they never got part two when everyone was left wondering forever. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Can you imagine if only part one aired and all these poor people in... Sorry, poor, not as in like they don't have money. That's not a dig on people who lived during the Soviet Union era. Just like all these like, it's sad of to think about all these people who maybe would have been watching, waiting anxiously for part two to come in and then it never came. And then here it is. (laughs) I would have been emotionally invested, I'm just saying. Wait a minute. 30, so I just had to do the math on that. This aired 30 years ago. My brain, st- I look at 91 and I'm like, yeah, last year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 30 years ago. Anyway, that, gosh, that, it also just doesn't help that, like you said, it feels like it was made in like the early 80s or something. It, it does not feel like this looks like something that was made around the same time as like Wizard of Oz. Like it is not of the quality. Like it looks like color television should be revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's where part one ends. Ooh. Part two kicks off with Frodo going to save his buddies from the Barrowites. Um, they're all just like lying down and there's like some kind of netting over them and they're asleep or something. This is when I was like, it's really crazy that they chose, like you, like you said, they clearly were fans that like they chose to adapt all of these parts of the book that, again, Peter Jackson, too afraid, too cowardly well, to I, do Barrow Whites. There was so many things that left me just wondering in this, like, why are there candles in their chests? I couldn't figure that out. There's just candles yeah, they're like, burning. Ho- I think they were holding them because yeah. I think they're supposed to be dead. I don't know. I don't um, know. And then there's what looks like a face hugger on one of their faces. And I was like, are these people Ridley Scott fans? Like, what is happening right now? <laughs> like, it's so weird. One of them just yeah, has one of them something is, like, here. Yeah, eaten or something? Yeah. I don't or, like, get getting it. the soul sucked out of them? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, and then, yeah, in case you... It's just so funny because reading the... Oh, shoot. I meant to... Um, look up the description of the Barrow Whites from the book to read out. But like from my memory, they were something reading it. I imagined something like a ghost or a zombie or, you know, something along those lines. Definitely not like murder clowns. (laughs) Well, hey, in this interpretation, you know, maybe it's a metaphor. Maybe they actually died here. The rest of the journey is their ascension into purgatory. No. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is just the costuming they had and like the makeup that they had, you know, 
for these people. All I know is I'll never screw with a Russian clown. Then, luckily, Tom Bombadil comes in, of course, to save the day. Thankfully, it's not so accurate to the book because it is at this point in the book that all four of the hobbits wake up naked in the grass together. So we don't get that. I, I am glad, at least. I for, y- for that. I, I could have used some Russian man-ass. I was disappointed, personally. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, Tom Bombadil saves them and sends them on their way. Bye, Tom Bombadil. I'm so glad we got to s- at least see you. You could have single-handedly solved this whole problem, but whatever, fine, bye. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. Seriously, just what was going through Tolkien's head when he was like, I'm going to make this all-powerful man god. Shoot. <laughs> I can't do that because then he can just take the ring. Okay, how do I explain that away? He doesn't care. He doesn't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Then they go on to the prancing pony, or at least what we know. I forget what they They do not call the prancing pony. Yeah, it's not called the... um, I think they just call... Oh, they call it um, Barlamin Butterburrs. Is that his name? It's it's actually where uh, Rowling got the name for Butterbeer. No. That's what, I mean, you joke, but I, do you know how many times I mistakenly called it, called him Butterbeer or whatever? Oh my God. They, they just say like, oh, let's go to his inn. So they get there and I'm like, oh my God, we're going to see Russian Strider. He doesn't disappoint. He's fantastic. Utterly fantastic. So great. There's a moment where Butterbur is like, you have to leave. You're drawing a lot of like serious, scary attention here. And Frodo's like, no, no, we're going to have a good time. And The other three hobbits are like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's sick with the fever. He's been stabbed. He's dying. He's sick. And they're just doing all these things to try to get Frodo to like sit down and shut up like he's supposed to be doing. But instead, he jumps up and starts like dancing. And then this random bar goer starts singing. And it's like some like classically trained like opera singer (laughs) singing. It's definitely not like a bar song. No. And it's it's such a tonal difference from like the way mm. all of this is presented in the Peter Jackson movies. And I think my favorite thing about it is it's clearly they were just like, well, we have this lady who can sing real good. Should we get her in here? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> we're just yeah gonna- it's like in high school if you were doing theater and like the director knew you could like juggle. And it's like, that's a fun thing to work in. Let's do that. It's like, but... This is Macbeth. <laughs> it's like, no, you can juggle. We're using it. <laughs> we need you to juggle. So that's what's going to happen now. Yes. <laughs> um, so as she's singing, Frodo is taken over by the ring and he puts the ring on. Um, and I love how like it'll cut to it'll be like Frodo standing there. He takes out the ring and then it cuts to. Again, I think they just took like one close up shot of the ring in someone's like fingers or hand. Yeah. And they just reused that every single time. (laughs) Well, what's great about that is like the ring prop they clearly are really proud of. And I didn't hate it. Like it's a fine ring prop, but it does not have any shiny. Yeah. Yeah. And they they emphasize that like that. They they, they get that shine in there. (laughs) Mm hmm. Um, and then it'll be a shot of like someone's finger like slowly going into the ring and then it cuts back to the room and Frodo's gone and everyone just but it's not like an immediate reaction it'll be like a like a a few seconds to show Frodo's not there and then everyone in the room will go (gasps) 
to, to, of course, signify, oh, my God, he disappeared. What happened there? What I love is like it implies that if he had reappeared in those few seconds, people would have been like, that's fine. People people will even come back all the time. It's fine. As long as you yes. don't stay gone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, And so he... Re- he he takes the ring off and he's next to the table of this very mysterious man with a hood up. To tell you I was shocked that Russian Strider is actually kind of hot. <laughs> like he's a good looking man. And then like the rest of the cast is like, uh, like there are so many mutton chops in this movie and like so many weird hairdos and so many weird like facial hair features. And then Aragorn just looks he, he looks like a modern man. It just it goes to prove the point that Strider as a role cannot not be sexy. Yes. They were they were like, we gotta make sure he's hot. Um and they give him this like bloody scar on his face too. <laughs> Which at first I thought was just like a scratch, but he has it the whole movie. Everything about this is so over the top and so per- like because it's so consistently as it is like your brain almost adjusts to what you're watching. Yes. And like you get used to it and you expect it and you're like, actually, no, I say that because you're like, oh, yeah, I'm getting used to that. I'm getting into this world. And then like the next scene will happen and it'll be something that will happen that will be so absurd that you are like, nope, I'm not used to this yet. Then the four hobbits go off by themselves. Bar, bar, Butterbur, <laughs> Butterbeer comes in and is like, oh, by the way, you need this letter. Um, and so they stand there and read this letter um, that Gandalf left them explaining, you know, like, you better leave the Shire really quick because there are all these writers after you, which doesn't make sense in the timeline of this movie because Gandalf tells Frodo about the ring and is like, it needs to be destroyed. You need to leave now. And then they leave immediately, like while Gandalf is still there. And then in this letter, he's like, quick, you need to leave the Shire. But they already I, have. I don't, I don't know if that's a translation issue or what. I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by what led to the story we got in here. Is it the original translation? Is it the adaptation of the script? Is it misunderstanding? So, I don't um, know. I do know a little bit about that. Um, let's see. I'm genuinely amazed. Don't take that. Take that as the compliment it is, because I just figured all information on this was long gone. Yeah. Earlier adaptations and even translations of Tolkien's work in the Soviet Union were hard to come by, with some convinced that the story of an alliance of men, elves, and dwarves fighting a totalitarian Eastern power would be blocked by the censor. Not a surprise. Yeah. And so it was based on this 1989 Russian translation of Fellowship um, by Vladimir Murovgov. <laughs> Vlad- Vladimir Murovgov. There's so many Vs. And Andrei Just- Tsitsikovsky. <laughs> Got that one. There we go. So this is based off of the 1989 translation of Fellowship that was published. Okay. Which I'm sure had phenomenal prose. And it was, it was, um, from what I remember reading, it wasn't as, it was almost more like an abridged translation. That makes sense. Um, but also because like 
it's very some of the things that like Tolkien created and you know like the words and language that he used would have been really hard to translate into another language well, no did, matter what. Yeah, so. he, he invented a few your your words as well. So like I'm yeah. sure the people translating like, it were like, what? It was hard to read as an English speaking person, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like <laughs> having to translate it into another, which is even more amazing that like this film exists that like it was so hard for it to be translated and the fact that people went to the effort to do that and then people went to the effort to adapt that into a movie script and film it it's just really great yeah yeah and so anyway yeah so they're reading this letter and then it the again this is just what the translation in the english captions say so i don't know how it reads in the or how it comes across in the russian translation or whatever but they're reading it and the captions say by the way strider's real name is aragorn <laughs> which i just thought was hilarious just you know they're they're being concise it's concise yes. lord of the rings and then like and then strider comes in and then frodo goes over and like grabs him and like grabs him by the cloak and is like what's your real name um, and then he like takes his hood off and it's like, I'm Aragorn or whatever. And yeah, again, like when the hood came off, I was real shocked. He's hot. <laughs> Who knew? Like pretty attractive man by 1990 Soviet standards. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm scrolling through it right now and I'm just, I'm kind of floored. There's a lack of consistency for how this is presenting itself that results in consistency, whether it's filming outside or in what looks like someone's garage or in a kind of well-made set. It's just so chaotic that having like any kind of dramatic reveal, the fact that it's so campy, it's just blending in this beautiful way that I, I'm genuinely yes. in love with this. Like I'm actually kind of in love with it. Like it all, it all kind of works together. Yes. It's almost like the chaos um, and inconsistency is the style. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, it's like it definitely wasn't something that like as they were filming or making, they're like, this is going to be a stylistic choice. But like afterwards, now that it's put together, it looks more like that's just the style. That's just how it was. So like having Aragorn just suddenly be this hot dude. I was like, yeah. <laughs> One of them yeah, knew a hot guy sense. and was like, you should be Aragorn. <laughs> so then um, they head out on the road again. The riders catch up to them. This is something that like the the narrator is talking about of like them traveling. So we don't actually have to like film them traveling in all these different locations because clearly they only had this one location of like the woods in someone's backyard. <laughs> and then the riders are fighting and Frodo like takes it. It's this one shot. It's just Frodo on camera and he has like some kind of green screen set behind him. And when it cuts to the riders, it's the riders in the real world outside on these horses. Um, and so this is what this is where I started thinking, OK, it must be that like they don't have enough actors to film the riders and Frodo and, you know, the fellowship on camera at the same time. Oh, yeah. It, and what I love about that, though, is at this point in the viewing experience, my brain, like, you'd think if, oh, switching between someone between bad green screen and these, like, outside, you know, suburban Sasquatch-looking uh, shots, it's going to be disjointed. But my brain was just like, no, no, no. That's right. <laughs> it's like, this yeah. is what you should expect. <laughs> I don't want it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, and for some and reason, behind Frodo is like intense clouds. Like that's the backdrop yes, they had, not forest or anything. He is in the sky. <laughs> yeah, he's just in the sky. Doesn't it all look like wherever they are? And he takes out his like pro- his like cardboard <laughs> prop knife or, or dagger or whatever. Yeah, it, it, it does. It might have been plastic. <laughs> I was going to say it looked cardboard or plastic to me. <laughs> and he he's like... I'll show you. And he goes to stab them and kind of like jumps up and his like knife goes off screen. And then we cut to a writer stabbing his sword forward. And then it cuts back to Frodo on this like cloud green screen and someone's hand from off screen, but you don't see the body comes in and stabs him, quote unquote, stabs him. The sword, like, I think just like goes behind him or something. (laughs) It's uh, it's you know, it's it's. I did the hand actually match the writer? I don't remember. Did it? Was it like? There's a... no way it did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it easily could. I almost want to go back and look at the hand that stabbed him, and then compare it to like the other actors and characters, and be like, oh no, he's wearing the same glove that Aragorn wears. That was like the Aragorn actor. It's someone just giving him hand. a sword. Yeah. <laughs> Frodo's down for the count, and then he wakes up in in Rivendell. Yay! Gandalf is there. Good news, everyone. Sam and Frodo and everyone, they're all reunited. Um, We do get a name drop, much like in Peter Jackson's version. Pippin is talking about, like, oh, you're the Lord of the Ring or whatever. Gandalf says, no, Sauron is the Lord of the Ring, and we are the Keepers. And I'm like, ha, he said the name of the movie. <laughs> oh, God. It's, yeah, I, I got nothing to add besides just it's exactly how you put it. It's just, the, and it's almost like they had another one of those, like, turn to the camera moments, like, we did the thing. <laughs> yeah. And also, there are literally, there there are a lot of literal turn and look at the camera oh. moments in this. To a point where I was like, are they memeing on the idea of a turn to the... No, they're just doing it seriously that much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's the Deadpool scene where he's like, flashback and a flashback. I'm like, there's a camera look and a camera look here. <laughs> <laughs> then we begin the Council of Elrond, and everyone files in like they're, I don't know, filing into like a church service, almost. Oh yeah, I should mention Bilbo's there again. Yay, Bilbo. It was really funny. We see Bilbo like kind of talking to himself and I'm like who is this character like what's going on and then Frodo runs up and is like Bilbo and I'm like oh right that not the same actor (laughs) um and uh yeah so they begin the council of Elrond Gandalf explains what happened to him with Saruman Saruman is an interesting looking guy. He looks like a villain. Saruman looks like the, like, you know how in The Office Michael Scott made, like, his movie with, like, Michael Scorn and all that? He looks like if Michael <laughs> Scott made Sauron, like, that's the character design <laughs> for him to me. It's really bad, but it's adorable. <laughs> he does just, like, a lot of mannerisms that's very much, like, they they probably told the actor, like, remember, this guy's the villain. Um, so he does a lot of like villain mannerisms and then he starts talking about like, oh no, we, when he's like shifting towards like, no, we should use the ring. And he's talking about like the union of Sauron and all these dark forces and stuff. And he's like the age of elves and dwarves or whatever will end. And as he's giving this speech, this, (laughs) I don't even know what's happening. 
it, it's shrunk down almost like the size of the hobbits in some scenes. Um, I think they're supposed to be orcs. And so I think he's like talking about a war or power or something. This was completely lost like, in translation. Like I, I couldn't piece it together. These like soldiers of some kind all of a sudden appear on screen. They've been shrunk down and they're in front of Saruman as he's giving this speech. And they're just like marching in place. <laughs> And that's like, and then they fade away. That's where the whole like it's a stage production that's filmed kind of thing comes in, where it's it's a stage yes. production where they've like managed to add in some effects afterwards, yeah, and and yeah, and, and was I crazy or was like the costuming? It was like extravagant and flamboyant for what these supposedly works were like. It looked like they had bells and tassels hanging off them. So I was like comparing that with like the modern conception of like Peter Jackson's orc. I was like, what the. I don't know if you squared your podcast, but what am I looking at? Yeah, no, definitely. And like they look, um, they look very much like human soldiers Mm. rather than monsters. They didn't do, they didn't like do any costuming or like makeup effects to make them look like monsters. They're just like human soldiers in these like elaborate costumes. And the greatest fake beard ever is on uh, Boromir's face. I don't know if you noticed, but he just has like his hair, there's a gap, and then there's just this black beard. Literally, (laughs) they were like... He he has like villain, like Shakespeare villain facial hair. Yeah. Is how I can describe it. Um, And like as it progresses with like Boromir's story, it's like, yeah, he's the villain. <laughs> Which is, it's such a misrepresentation of Boromir. I hate because yeah. Boromir's like my favorite. So I'm like, F- this. Like, no. So here's the thing Boromir is one of my least favorite characters. <laughs> don't, don't come for me. Um,. <laughs> Just the, I know, I know. It's an unpopular opinion, whatever. Um, He just annoyed me to no end when I was reading it. And I was just like, oh my God, you're an idiot. Elrond and Gandalf, all these people have told you to not use the ring. So like maybe let's just give up on that idea. He's being compulsed. He's being forced into it. His mind is being twisted. I know, whatever, whatever. The ring's power is amplified by want and Boromir more than anyone wants. And so that is why he is is so susceptible. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Not to go on another 15 minute tangent about how Faramir is the best character in the entirety of the series. But that's also why Faramir is not tempted by the ring. Need I remind everyone? He has no desire for, you know, he has no want or desire to lead or have power. He doesn't want to do that anyway. I, it's still my favorite piece of Tolkien world building ever. The fact that hobbits are so just content is why the ring is like totally like it takes hundreds of years to wear on them because they're do just like, anything. hey, man, I want to go fish. Maybe smoke some tobacco. I'm going to just hang out. I'm good. Just have some pie. <laughs> the ring's like, what do I do mm. with you? <laughs> <laughs> and and then meanwhile, Bilbo is using it to hide from people when they come knocking on his door. Which I always wondered when Bilbo did that, was did he see? Sauron's eye too and he was just like that's weird and go on about his (laughs) (laughs) oh my god no but can you imagine Sauron he's just sitting in Mordor like oh my god I have no clue where the ring is or who has the ring. He's just sitting there waiting for someone to use it so that he can get some kind of... And then Bilbo puts it on and it's like a moment of like they make eye contact and then Sauron is like, I'm in the Shire? (laughs) How did that happen? 
<laughs> or for like 200 years, however long Smeagol had it, he just gets the ring randomly slipped on and all of a sudden he's like, why? Who or what the fuck? Who's this gremlin? <laughs> why is he what eating a fish here? in front of me? This is horrible. <laughs> Oh my god. Let's see where we're Oh that's right, the council of that's right, that's right. Okay. Saruman's talking. Um so he imprisons Gandalf and then uh Gandalf escapes on the eagle. And the eagle is a it's like a it's almost like a beanie baby. It's a stuffed animal that like someone is holding up in front of the camera, flapping their wings. And then the Gandalf actor is standing like behind him. And Gandalf is the Gandalf actor is also flapping his arms. (laughs) It's one of the scenes where you could clearly tell they didn't know what the effect was going to be. And they just told the actor, there's going to be something. So do something. There's going to be an eagle. And so... (laughs) He was like, all right, we're flying. I'm going to fly. And so he's flapping his wings. And then they just held up this prop because it was all they had. And that was it. (laughs) It's truly, I think it might be my favorite effect of this movie. The eagle. It's good. I think I just love to get Um, into the Hobbit with the spiders. That's maybe my favorite effect from all of these. I think the spiders and the Hobbit were the most funny thing ever. They're just like, yeah, they're just like like halloween decorations that they're just like moving around and then they're just going like (laughs) 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 oh my god yeah throughout the council of elrond there are moments where like bilbo wants to see the ring and he is having a moment where he's being tempted by the ring and then boromir wants to uh use the ring and like I guess Frodo is like having these visions or like a connection through the ring to Boromir. But the the captions just keep saying like, I am driven. I am driven to the ring just like over and over again. And I'm like, Frodo, man, why didn't you speak up and be like, hey, this Boromir guy does not. He seems a little sus. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't take him. Yeah, they definitely, in my humble opinion, completely misinterpreted Boromir. Well, I think in a short well, also, we don't get the scene. Oh, I just had a realization, which we will get to when we get to the, the end of the movie. Okay. So, yeah, they decide to set out as a fellowship. It is important to note, I think, that it appears Legolas is played by a woman. Which, yeah, wh- why not? Just do that. <laughs> Amazing. Outstanding. Which was A plus. It's not like it's a consistent thing where they make the male elves female, because Elrond is not. He's a dude. And so it's Yeah, just, he's played by a dude as well. I don't know what they were going for. Apparently just like And it's this just is- so funny because like or like Peter Jackson's version hadn't come out yet. Yeah. Orlando Bloom was like still a baby at this time, basically. <laughs> and the way that like this version foreshadowed Orlando Bloom Legolas is outstanding. <laughs> this is it just get gender bent Legolas, that's all I can say. Yes. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> they start going on their journey. At one point they're being chased by wargs and the wargs are there's like um <laughs> there's like a dragon head and then there's like some skeleton toys of some kind or figures that like are just moving like people are moving them like in place um and then like the camera is like shaky and is like blurry and then like the fellowship will be like running in place but 
like in slow motion and the screen behind them is moving. You can clearly see it was a major inspiration for the Blair Witch Project with Shaky Cam. No. Um, yes. it, it, it is funny. This movie weirdly has an aversion to characters walk, walking like in and out of screen. Like they do do it, but like they'd rather have people run in place than just run past a set, which I found odd. Like you'd think they'd enjoy a shot more where they have a set and people run through it, but you don't get that a whole lot. And instead, there's just a lot of this at the camera. Yes. For those listening, I just did a running in place gesture. Run- yes. <laughs> I think they got that. I think they understood. Um, and so, yeah, again, this is another fight sequence. And it happens again in Moria where, like, there will be shots of the Fellowship just, like, blindly swinging their swords around, not really fighting anything. And then it'll cut to the wargs or the orcs. And, like, they're being hit with swords that are being held by arms that are, like, off camera. And, I, sorry, I'm just looking as I'm skimming through now. Their Aragorn really looks like David Tennant crossed with Viggo Mortensen. That's just it's how he strikes me. I The only comparison I could come up with was Andrew Garfield, and it's only because of the hair. Oh, I totally see that. Yeah, that, that's completely fair. There's Andrew Garfield in there as well. I do not yeah. disagree. So all of those, so what you said, who crossed with Viggo Mortensen? It's like David Tennant crossed with David Viggo Tennant. Mortensen with Andrew Garfield's Andrew hair. Garfield. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what this dude looks like, which is not an unattractive man. No. You know, he's he's pretty good looking, yeah. So they decide to seek shelters, uh, seek shelter in the caves of Karadhas. And I was like, I guess this is Moria. And then uh, a few minutes later, they're like, ah, we're in Moria now. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, they don't. Cons- <laughs> sometimes they just take what Tolkien called stuff, and other times they just change the name. And I don't know right, why, yeah. or it just seems arbitrarily pick it out of a hat which ones are we going to keep the same and which ones are we going to alter. They just wanted to use all of the names at once. You know, they knew they weren't going to do a full trilogy. So they're like, let's use every name Tolkien's <laughs> ever created. Um, yeah, they go into Moria. And then immediately Frodo falls down a hole. I didn't get this. I had no idea what happened here. I'm going to be honest. At this point, I was kind of checking out. At this point, I was like, "I'm my energy's gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's literally like the actor is walking forward. And then he goes like, oh, no. And he raises his hands up in the air and then just falls down. <laughs> and then it also happens to... It happens to one of the other hobbits. I don't know which hobbit. But yeah, they fall down a hole Sam. and then like they get the, a, a rope is thrown down and then they are climbing up the rope. <laughs> I don't know what happened here. Action. Action happened. Artistic creation. Choices. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, then eventually they stop and rest, I think. Let me see. There's this sequence of um, Aragorn saving Mary for some reason. He just like grabs a hobbit and is like, come on, Mary, like you're safe. I don't know what's happening. And then they daintily walk across a green screen bridge. (laughs) Yeah, they're walking across this bridge. And then so Aragorn walks across it, I guess, because he's looking for the way out. And then he walks back across it the other way. (laughs) I don't know. But he's like, it's safe. Come on, everyone. So they make it out of Moria. And uh, Aragorn looks around and starts counting. And it's like, one, two, three. Wait a minute. Where's Gandalf? Well, if he's not with us, he must be dead. (laughs) 
Because they can't do a Balrog. <laughs> That's right. Gandalf dies off screen. And the one thing that I was like, I can't wait to see was the rush was was their Balrog. I was like, this is going to be great. It's going to be so low budget. It's going to be amazing. But clearly they had no clue what to do. So they just had it happen. They didn't have a Balrog at all. And they just had Gandalf die uh, with these orcs. Well, and I I was expecting them to do like the smog puppet we saw in The Hobbit where it's like this Mm -hmm. big thing coming out. But then I remembered the Balrog wasn't actually established as being that big until Peter Jackson's movies. So they could have, it could just be one of the orcs and be like, that's the Balrog. You don't know. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Also, it probably would have been really hard because like when you're reading Tolkien and you're reading Lord of the Rings and you hadn't seen the movies or anything at all yet, it's really hard to like imagine and visualize what he's describing. And especially the Balrog, I know there's supposedly lots of controversy around what the Balrog actually looks like and like yeah. whether or not he has wings and whether the wings are functional or are they just decorative? <laughs> um, is he a shadow? Is he a ball of fire? Is he a monster? So I can understand that they maybe wouldn't know what to do for the Balrog. I'm going to be honest. What happens after this is a sequence of events that I just kind of was like, I don't know what they're even going for. There is so much for like the next 10, 20 minutes that I was just like, I'm what? (laughs) So what happens is they go to Lothlorien. It's like an elf cult. (laughs) It looks like they're walking into a cult (laughs) and it's all female elves, and they're all just, like, dancing around and singing. And they, like, hypnotize everyone in the fellowship except for Boromir and Gimli for some reason. No idea why. My, my like, Tolkien brain says, oh, maybe not Gimli because he's a dwarf. And there's that, like, dwarf-elf dichotomy. But mm. that doesn't seem to really be a thing in, in this movie. Also, I don't think Legolas has any lines no. at all i don't think he speaks at all no. which is pretty true to peter jackson's version though i mean yeah legolas has always just been the guy who can do stuff and we're gonna make him do cool stuff <laughs> and he looks pretty and that's it he's gonna do stuff and look pretty he doesn't he doesn't talk much though and so yeah the elves like get get the rest of the fellowship into this state where like they're like eating out of their hands and then they like smell a flower or something and then they or a plant and then they all fall asleep on top of each other in the middle of this like courtyard and the elves are just like singing and dancing around them and Boromir and Gimli are off to the side like oh my god I can't believe they did that to them like look they're asleep now well we better go wake them up. I, I have I no <laughs> idea. I, I like. I just. I, I don't know what they're trying to do here. It's just odd. <laughs> yes, but yeah, like elf cults is just all I could describe it as. Really, truthfully, at this point, I was like, oh, okay, I guess they're just like leaving Lothlorien and that scene of that. Um, instead, we have two children playing like toy trumpets or horns of some kind or flutes, and they're like entering in and they're like heralding in Galadriel um, and Galadriel speaks to them and is basically like, I don't know why you're trying to do this because evil is inevitable and you're never going to destroy it. 
So it's a much more nihilistic luck. Galadriel, and she is oh costumed gosh. like uh, a fairy godmother. That's the only way I can think. Yeah. She's costumed like a fairy godmother. Yeah, that's a great description. I was just thinking of like she in this version of Galadriel in our situation currently, like at least in the United States with COVID, would be like, well, co- COVID's just everywhere. You're going to get it. It's inevitable. Might as well get it now and then hope you don't die. And then you can go back to work. Actually, this Galadriel would be the leader of the CDC at this moment in time. <laughs> like, mm, I don't know. You might, you're probably just going to get it anyway. So, like, I don't know, maybe quarantine for, like, mm, a day. And I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> go back to work. Then she calls Frodo into a room by himself. And there are all these close-ups of the rest of the fellowship just like sitting around looking bored and there's this one shot of one of the hobbits who's just totally spaced out and dead looking that I'm 99% sure was just like the actor sitting around in between quote-unquote takes and didn't know they were being filmed. (laughs) I would believe that if I didn't think they had such little film that they wouldn't be just shooting stuff. Shooting b-roll? Yeah but you're probably not wrong. Um, especially with how many of the shots are just, especially of Frodo and Galadriel just seem unnecessary and are like high effort, but very poor execution. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they start talking about the ring and Frodo offers it to her and she takes it and then imagines, this is supposed to be her Mm -hmm. imagining herself with the ring. And it cuts to, like, some kind of, like, demonized version of her with, like, a crown on her head. And she's, like, sobbing. And then it, like, you know, like, the camera, like, fades back out again. And she goes, I will, like, I pass the test. (laughs) And then hands it back to Frodo. And that's it. (laughs) In the Peter Jackson movie, does she ever actually hold the ring? I don't think she ever actually holds the ring from Frodo in the movie. Um... That's a good point. I don't think so either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't think she holds it. Because that she probably would have been. Yeah. And this. Yeah. And this she takes it and like looks at it for a minute. And then, you know. Um, Sorry. Well, and it's also really funny for Frodo, who like doesn't know that like she had that vision or whatever. And then she just goes, hm, I passed the test and then gives it back to him. So then they continue on. And at one point they stop in an apple orchard. <laughs> And this is where we get our famous Boromir-Frodo conversation. Yes, and neither of them... So Frodo is, like, looking off camera, but Boromir is looking directly into the camera. This is the artistic choice of artistic choices. Yes, it was a choice, for sure. They they put you in Frodo's POV is how I took it. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) But, like... Then it will cut to Frodo looking off camera still, you know. They talk and uh, Boromir wants the ring, obviously. At one point he says, do I look like a traitor? And I'm like, yes, (laughs) you do. You look exactly like someone who I expect to betray us. You do not have the trusting eyes of Sean Beam, sir. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Oh, my gosh. So then Frodo runs off. And Boromir like stands up and is like, no. And then he does, he's like, ah, oh, gosh darn it. Or are we <laughs> not like, going like to Sorry, are we not going to talk about palm. the excessive face touching that happens here where Boromir oh, yeah, is he, like, like caresses Frodo's face? I thought they're going to make him kiss. 
I seriously was like, what is, are they going to smooch? Why is this happening right now? Doing things, Peter, again, Peter Jackson, too afraid. Too afraid to do any of those things. Frodo, like, walks away from Boromir and Sam shows up and is like, oh, are you leaving? And Frodo's like, yes, this ring is taking too much toll on the rest of the fellowship. I have to go off by myself. And Sam's like, no, of course you don't. I'll come with you. And then they're like, I knew it would end. Like, I knew we would be together, that we would do this on our own. Um, and so then they get on their horses and they ride off and there's this shot where they start holding hands and then they put their hands on top of each other's hands again and they're just like holding hands for a long time which I appreciate and then they ride off into the sunset and that's the end of the movie there's no big final showdown there's no death of Boromir there's no you know talk with Aragorn it is just they are gone (laughs) yes so my revelation that I had earlier Boromir dies at the beginning of the book of two towers yes and depending on when there was this long gap in between fellowship of the ring and then two towers and return of the king being published in the soviet union so it's possible that two towers had not yet been published therefore they did not know that boromir would die that's brilliant i had not thought of that at all um i'm trying to find out when Two Towers would have been published in the Soviet Union. Sorry, I'm trying I to... I don't f- know. It just said... Yeah, it just says... Let's see. Uh, the first published translation came out in the Soviet Union in 1982, although its sequels, The Two Towers and Return of the King, were not released until years later. Okay. So there's a good chance... And that doesn't mean it was widely distributed or anything like that. Like, it's really mm-hmm. hard to get down. Like, unless you're there, you don't know how available that next book would be or until exactly. when. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very, and I'm trying to remember what the last chapter of Fellowship of the Ring was like. And if, um, I think the battle had started, like by the end of Fellowship of the Ring, I think there was a battle going on. So they would have known that. But again, if they don't have a budget for, <laughs> they've already used their whole budget on all those battle scenes. They I would don't have love to in, see their version the of Helm's Deep. <laughs> oh my God. Just like, I think it would just be like, a Lego set and they're like cutting between all these shots of like the actors just like flinging swords around just like waving their sword and then it cuts to like this exterior of just like a Lego castle and they're like throwing it like arrows or something at it I don't know (laughs) and then the charge of the Rohirrim oh masterful Uh, so there's so many I want to see what their tree beard looks like I want to see it's just a guy with like plants taped to his face <laughs> leaves yes oh my god um but yeah that is that is where the soviet union adaptation of lord of the rings ends um and just once again it was a really a really great feat that these guys did um as much as like we love to you know poke fun at it it was really important culturally really um for for people at that time because it was so hard for lord of the rings to be published and like we were talking just a few minutes ago we don't even know if the whole trilogy had been published at this point so um definitely as an american in the year 20 oh it's 2022 now yikes (laughs) I, you know, I take for granted that we just have access to all these things right off the bat. Um, And so it's really great that these people 
had such a love for Tolkien and this story and worked so hard, like the people who were trying to originally translate it and get it published, and then these people who made the film. Um, and then just like huge shout out to that worker at Channel 5 in Russia who found this in the archives and uploaded it to YouTube. Yeah. Um, I might, would love to to shake their hand. Me too. And this might be the highest effort fan project I've ever seen because there's no like, you know, they didn't have Final Cut Pro. This was a labor. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that will bring us to the end of our discussion then. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me for this um, interesting journey that we went on today. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. What would you like to share with our audience and where can people find you on the internet? Just look up Daniel Green. That's me. If you're interested in my own book, it's Breach of Peace followed by Rebel's Creed. And uh, if you want to see some book reviews or sci-fi fantasy talk, I'm all over the tubes. Awesome. That's What I'm Talking About is a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBNE.org where you will find all of our shows like Unsobered. The cover is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at pod. You can follow me on Twitter at mcwhatsup and Instagram at mcturndownforwhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash pod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. You can join our Discord server, as always. I really recommend that tier. Or you can become a sponsor of the podcast, like Christina. Christina, thank you so much for your continued support of the podcast. It really does mean a lot to me. Next week, we are covering the first ever adaptation of The Hobbit. It's about 13 minutes. If you want to watch it on YouTube, I will leave a link in the episode description. Or if you want to wait, I do have something a little different planned for next week. So stay tuned for more. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Give this a watch. It's definitely worth it. If you've got some drinks and some friends around, hell yeah. I think the drinks and the friends definitely <laughs> would amplify the experience 100%. For sure. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.